The Warriors are up 31. They're high-fiving. They're hitting threes. Steph's beating his chest, talking about how bad a man he is. I turn my TV off. It's a wrap. The Clippers are done. The Warriors are going to go up 2-0, heading back to L.A. This is going to be a four-game series, maybe five at best. And I wake up in the morning and find out the Clippers completed the greatest comeback in playoff history coming back from 31 points to beat the Warriors. So what did I do? I had to watch that game. I had to rewatch that. I had to find out what happened. And what happened was an epic collapse. The Warriors took their foot off the pedal. The Clippers never stopped competing, never stopped believing. And when they cut it to 20, they still kept pushing. When they cut it to 10, the energy in the building It was gone. The crowd was quiet and the Clippers had all the momentum and the Clippers were the team going for all the loose ball. They were the more physical. They were the aggressor. The Clippers were shooting threes, but they were also attacking the basket. Lou Williams was the best player in that game. Lou Williams outplayed Steph. Matter of fact, you can make a case that the Clippers best three players, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, and Danilo Gallinari outplayed Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson. When it was money time, the Clippers' big three made plays on both ends of the floor, and the Warriors' big three came up short. KD ends up fouling out. And the narrative I'm sure you've heard is that Patrick Beverly is in KD's head. He owns him. He's uh, He has KD locked now. And I would say this, to some degree, yes, KD has played into Patrick Beverly's hands. But I also think that Steve Kerr and the coaching staff are at fault as well because they're purposely running Kevin Durant into the post for the obvious reason. He's seven feet tall, Patrick Beverly's 6'1". But Patrick Beverly's actually stronger than Kevin Durant, and he's quicker than Kevin Durant. And because he's 6'1", he's getting into Kevin Durant's legs and taking away his legs. He's also being physical with them. The referees are allowing for more physical play. That's not what Kevin Durant is about. The best version of Kevin Durant is when he's on the move. The best version of Kevin Durant is when he catches the ball in the middle of the floor and he breaks you down off the dribble and he either gets to the rim or he pulls up and does that devastating mid-range jump shot. That's KD. What Steve Kerr is doing by running him into the post and making him stationary, I think Steve Kerr is playing right into Doc Rivers and Patrick Beverly's hands. Look, Patrick Beverly has nothing to lose. The Clippers don't count on him for offense, so he can use all his energy on defense, wearing Kevin Durant out, being physical with him, getting Kevin Durant to respond to him. If Patrick Beverly gives you any kind of offense, if he makes shots, that's just a cherry on top. KD has to play smarter, but he also has to be more aggressive. He has to be more assertive. No, he can't overpower Patrick Beverly. But what he can do is 
he could get on the move. Steve Kerr can help him by running pin downs or running one, three pick and rolls or two, three pick and rolls, keeping him in space and keeping him on the move. That is the best version of KD. Now, to be fair, if you look at this series, just at a glance, and you look at numbers. Look, Steph is averaging 33 points, eight rebounds and six and a half assists. Those are impressive numbers. But in the fourth quarter, when it was money time, when it mattered most, when his squad needed him, Steph was two for nine. And defensively, he was getting broken down left and right by Lou Williams. Lou Williams was giving it to him. They had to put Clay on him. Clay's a great defender, but once a guy like Lou Williams gets going, it doesn't matter who's guarding him. Lou Williams was lighting Clay up as well. Lou Williams, I think, has been the best player in this series. He's averaging 30 points and 10 assists. Montrez Harrell's averaging 25 points and over seven rebounds. And Gallinari is getting 19 points and six rebounds. Their three, their best three players, have outplayed Steph, Kevin Durant, and Clay. And nobody's talking about this because it kind of is swept under the rug. Clay Thompson, in two games, is averaging 14 points. He's shooting 44%. But where he makes his money at, Clay's only shooting 20% from three. He's been a non-factor offensively. I think the in the big picture, look, Golden State's going to win this series. That's what I believe. But the fact that the Clippers won game two in the fashion that they won it, that only makes me feel even more certain that the Warriors are not going to three-peat. They're just not. This is not a five-game series now. This is going to be a six-game series. And the fact that it's going to be that type of series, I, I'm even more I'm even more sure of the thought that, you know how we say the Warriors versus the field? I took the field. I did. I don't know who the NBA champion is going to be, but it's not going to be Golden State. They came into this series a top-heavy team with not much firepower off the bench. And now Boogie Cousins is gone for the season. So their roster just got depleted. Their depth is less. And not that Boogie was a major factor in this series because he really wasn't. And he's not a great defensive player. He's not like he's a rim protector because he isn't. But I thought later down the road, maybe in the conference finals, he would be more impactful. He would be more important. He would give them another weapon, another body, should they meet a team like the Rockets in the conference finals. But if the Golden State Warriors don't play defense, if their team defense isn't shored up, if they don't find a way to stop dribble penetration, they might not get, might not get out the first round. I, I know it, it sounds crazy. And again, I still think ultimately they're going to win this series. But that's the problem. This shouldn't be a series. And it is. And a lot of it has to do with they just not they're just not that good a defensive team. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, look, right now, KD is just being too passive offensively. He's got to find a way to assert himself. And he can do that by being on the move, by getting some help from his coaches, by putting him on the move. The Warriors will win this series. But don't sleep on these Clippers. They're going to be they're going to be some more close games in this series. And it's going to come down to who can get stops. And that's that's what makes this interesting. That's the great thing about sports. That's the great thing about basketball is the unknown, what you don't see coming. 
I didn't see anybody coming back from 31 until I saw it. Staying in the Western Conference, the Blazers go up 2-0 on the Thunder. And I'm going to keep it 100. I picked the Thunder. I thought the Thunder would win a six-game series. And right now, the Thunder are on their heels. And, and the, tale of, the tale of the tape when you look at this series is real simple. The Blazers have shot makers. They have shooters when you look at Dame and CJ. And the Thunder don't. Paul George is streaky. Russ is he's streaky to the next level. If you look at their numbers, Paul George, 26 points, 9 rebounds. Russ is averaging 19 points, 9 rebounds, and 10 assists. But he's only shooting 35% from the field, which means he's launching a lot of shots and he's getting up a lot of bricks. He's not even shooting 15% from three. Paul George is shooting less than 30% from three. If you're the Blazers and you can keep enticing the Thunder to take jump shots, that plays in your hands. If this is about shooting and this series is a jump shooting series, the Blazers are going to win this easy. The Thunder aren't shooters. They have no shooters. They have to impose their will physically. Paul George and Russell Westbrook have to play to their strengths. That's attacking the basket. That's getting downhill. That's getting to the free throw line. If they're not going to do that, if they're both going to take eight to ten threes a game, the Thunder are going to get swept. And I know should that happen, that question will come up again about is Russ the problem or is he the solution? Russ is a great player. Nobody can deny that. He doesn't cheat you. He gives you everything. But could Russell Westbrook be the best player on a title-winning team? No. And the reason why Paul George is a sidekick to Russell Westbrook is because he can't be the best player on a a title-winning team as well. Look, Russ has alpha talent. He's even got the alpha mentality. But he's inefficient. His shot selection and late game decisions, they're erratic. Paul George, alpha talent, not an alpha personality. And it always seems to show even more so in the playoffs. If this is going to be become a series, if this is going to even last beyond four games, they've got to impose their will physically. The advantage Oklahoma City has is their athleticism. When you look at Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Jeremy Grant, Nerlens Noel, even Steven Adams, they've got to impose their will. If not, the Thunder are going home real quick. Switching over to the East, the Sixers tie up the series, blowing out the Brooklyn Nets, and now we have a 1-1 series. Sixers win 145-23. to 23. For the series, Joel Embiid is averaging 22 points, 12 rebounds, Jimmy Butler, 21.6 rebounds, and Bob Bobdon Bogdanovich is averaging 14 points. I'm going to tore his name up, Boban. Let me stick with that. 14 points and five rebounds. Here's the thing about the Sixers. At a glance, that starting five seems like it could be the best starting five in basketball. But if you really look at them through the lens of playoff basketball, they're flawed. Playoff basketball isn't about fast break. It's more about half-court execution and shot making. And Ben Simmons does a lot of things great, 
but making shots is not one of them. And Tobias Harris is a talented guy, but he's unproven. He's never played in the playoffs. And so far, he looks like he's never played in the playoffs. I think Joel Embiid is as talented a big man as there is in basketball. But health-wise, he, he struggles with his health, not to mention his conditioning. Embiid lumbers up and down the court sometimes. And the Nets have been very effective putting him in pick-and-roll action. The truth of the matter is, there was a moment in the game where Embiid does a drop step, hits Jared Allen with an elbow, and that could have easily been a flagrant two, and he could have been thrown out the game, which would have changed the entire game. Water under the bridge. It's a 1-1 series. But if you're a Philly fan, this is this has turned into the series. It kind of feels like it kind of feels like the Golden State series. A lot of first round series are like that. Look, Philly should win this, and I expect that they will. But the fact that it's not going to be quick, it's interesting. But it also goes to the fact that I, I didn't think the Sixers were going to be in the conference finals. I just don't think they're they're good enough to be in the conference finals. I think when you look at a team like the Raptors, when you look at Milwaukee, even though the Raptors just tied up their game the other night versus the Magic, I still think the ideal matchup in the conference finals would be Milwaukee and the Raptors with Boston being my dark horse. Still going to ride with Boston as a dark horse because of their overall talent. But... I don't expect the Magic to win another game. I I was really impressed with what they did in game one. But I really believe that if you look at both of these teams, the Raptors don't have just the best player in the game in this series in Kawhi Leonard. They got the second best player, and that's Pascal Siakam. Siakam is evolving. He's improving every time you watch him. For the series, he's averaging 21 points, nine and a half rebounds, and two assists. He's asserted himself into that secondary role. And I think that Kyle Lowry had a great bounce back game, but the key to the Raptors going on a deep playoff run, maybe even making it to the finals is going to be what you get from Kawhi and Siakam. I think they have enough depth to, to compete with a team like Milwaukee. I think they have enough depth to beat Golden State. I think two teams that match up very well with the Warriors who are or actually have more talent overall than the Clippers or teams like the Raptors and the Bucks. In the big picture, what Golden State does best in terms of shot making, that can be neutralized with physical play. And both the Raptors and Milwaukee are very physical teams. And in the in the Bucks case, they're physical defensively, but offensively, they shoot the three. The only person who doesn't shoot the three on the Bucks happens to be their best player. And that hasn't been a problem for him because he seems to be able to get to the basket at will. In the big picture, and I like to stick with the big picture, I just don't see Golden State repeating. And I'm I'm going to be fascinated in what the narrative is going to be because my gut feeling is if they don't three-peat, somehow it's going to be KD's fault. And should they three-peat, which I don't think is going to happen, it's going to be because of Steph. That just seems to be the running narrative right now with the Golden State Warriors. No question I'm enjoying the first round of these playoffs. It looks like most of these series are going to go five, six, some might even go seven games. 
with the exception of Milwaukee and Detroit. I mean, honestly, we joke about it, but you could you could write that off as like, you know, Milwaukee and three. It just it doesn't seem competitive. I heard somebody say, well, they need to get a healthy Blake Griffin back. And let me stop you right there. Blake Griffin could be 150 percent healthy. They would still be getting swept. So let's get off of that. Let's move on. The breakdown for the Nuggets versus the Spurs is real simple. Young, ascending, talented team versus an all-time great coach with two veteran stars in LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. And right now, the Spurs going back to San Antonio, it's 1-1. And I think advantage Spurs. But if what I see played out in Game 2 plays out in Game 3, and that was Nikolai Jokic asserting himself as the best player in this series— if that's a trend and it continues, then the Nuggets are going to finish this series off. This is going to be a short series. When Jokic is aggressive, when he asserts himself and establishes himself, they're a different team. And if he continues to do that, it's a wrap. Another question that got posed to me by the Facebook fam, and, I, and, I, and it's kind of like a side note. I'm just going to put it out there. Coming into these playoffs, what player had the most pressure on them? I thought it was KD. I thought it was KD, even though, and it's weird to say, because we're talking about a guy that's won the last two finals MVP, a great all-time player. But if the rumors are true that he's got one foot out the door, that he's on his way to New York or some other destination, in this Warriors team, this might be the last run, at least of this version of the Warriors team, then I think if they come up short, It'll be because he didn't play his very best, that they didn't get the best version of him in these playoffs. Now, he struggled so far in the Clippers series. We've gone over that. I've talked about that. Do I think that he's going to play better? Yes. Do I think that he's going to play better as they get deeper into the playoffs? I do. It doesn't change my pick in terms of who's going to ultimately be the champion, but I do think should they come up short that he's going to take the brunt of the fallout. That's just a reality. Look, if you're recognized as one of the two or three best players in basketball, when things go well, you should get all the accolades. When your team comes up short, you're going to take a lot of heat. That's just a reality. Think about all the things that are going on with Westbrook and what we've talked about with Russ. There, Some people say he's overrated. I saw a question that given the choice between Russell Westbrook and Dame Lillard, who I'm a big fan of, love Dame, who would you choose? I would go with Dame. I'm, this is not a prisoner of moment choice for me. I would just take Dame. I think Dame Lillard always plays at his own pace. He plays under more control. And more importantly, Dame's a shot maker. He makes shots. He'll never put. He'll never average a triple-double, I'm guessing, but... His ability to make shots, to shoot from range that the only other person in the league that can shoot from is Steph consistently makes Dame unique. Not to mention, Dame has the quickness to blow by you and get to the rim. I'm not hating on Russ. I'm a big fan of Russ's. But if if you're asking me to choose who I would take, I'm taking Dame. and, and, And it's real simple. I trust Dame more. Tonight, you got game two, Celtics versus Pacers. Celtics haven't played well, but I expect them to take a commanding 2-0 lead on the Pacers tonight. You've also got game two, Rockets versus the Jazz. 
I expect the Rockets to win this series. But don't sleep on the Jazz. They're a tough, gritty team. They're not an explosive offensive team, but defensively, they get after you. They come at you with size, with Gobert and favors. And Donovan Mitchell, he can be inconsistent at times, but he's spectacular at other times. I think this series is going to go five or six games. So don't sleep on them. I'm not predicting the Rockets are going to win tonight. I do predict they'll win the series, but do not sleep on these Utah Jazz. There's also game two of Milwaukee versus the Pistons. Let me just go ahead and kill the suspense. Milwaukee's going to win, and it won't be close. Hey, this is a cipher. I appreciate you guys. Here's the thing. We're going to start going back to doing two shows a week because I said, hey, more content. I'm always telling my fellow podcasters to put more stuff out there. So you know what? Let me get back on that grind. I'm going to start going back to we're going to do shows on Tuesdays and shows on Fridays. I've also got a friend of mine that wants to do another podcast. I'll have more on that for you guys the next show. Hey, I appreciate the love, Facebook fam. I appreciate the love from the YouTube and Spreaker fam. And look, everybody that's part of that anchor community, I appreciate you guys, the support, the fact that you guys have have shown me that love and favored the podcast. I've done the same. We've got to find a way to support each other, to encourage each other. I do appreciate that. It's the Cypher next time.